0: And welcome to Tonebenders, my name is Tim Meerhead, and I will be your host for today, along with my co-host Mark Kilborn. Mark, we have a hell of a
1: show for our listeners today. Yeah, we do, Tim. Today we have the sound team behind the latest season of Stranger Things. I think it's fair at this point to call the show a cultural phenomenon. You can't throw a rock without hitting an article about it. Um, It's a really fun show. It's got amazing sound work. Great music. I mean, like Kate Bush and Metallica are in the charts again because of this thing. It's pretty wild and it's a lot of fun, so I'm looking forward to hearing what they have to say about it.
0: So I'll introduce our guests today. We have Craig Hennigan, who is a co-supervising sound editor and re-recording mixer. Welcome to the show, Craig. It's great to have you back on.
2: Great, thank you, Tim. Thanks, uh, Mark. Yeah, happy to be here. Also
0: joining us are Lee Gilmore and Katie Holiday, who both served as sound editors on this season. It's great to meet you both. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Thanks guys. So much, guys. And finally, we have Angelo Palazzo, who is the lead sound effects editor. It's nice to meet you, Angelo. Thanks for joining us.
3: Thanks, Tim. Great to meet you. Thanks, Mark.
0: Okay, so let's get down to it. This show is huge both in its sound design and in its scale. It's a cliche that people come on the show and say, you know, we treated every episode as a little film. (laughs) But this show, that's actual literal. Like each episode is a film length. One episode is almost two and a half hours. Most of them clock in over an hour and 15 minutes. These are closer in range to a franchise of movies rather than a series of episodes. But I suspect you didn't get the schedule that nine individual movies would get to do the work on this. So uh, how do you tackle this impossible task, Uh, Craig? You want to take that first
2: um you know I, I'm, I'm happy my crew didn't revolt and didn't uh <laughs> rise up and say adios amigo you're on your own um look you know i mean Rand, Rand, our producer and dean you know while they were shooting and i had the scripts obviously with covid and stuff even a couple years ago at least and uh Everyone kept saying, you know, they're going to be big. It's going to be big. They're going to be long. And yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. We can handle it. And you kind of just go for it, man. You know, I have an amazing team with me. Every one of us works more sort of in the feature world than in the sort of streaming world, you know? So the chops are there, uh, the speed is there, and the whole quality of work is all sort of maintained, right? You know, for me since i'm sort of a i started the series back in 2015 so i've been there since the beginning and they've sort of naturally progressed they've grown to what they are so i feel it at about an hour 15 you know when when you sort of start taking into account when it's mixing like if it's a week away from hitting the stage but you know you just got to compartmentalize you got to prioritize and you just got to kind of work. Matt and Ross are really great at getting us early cuts. So one of our saving graces is actually we usually get a pretty good swing at the first two or three episodes before we even sort of get into the regular grind of like up against a schedule, so to speak. Like episode one, I think I probably saw the first chunks of episode one sort of August 2021 kind of thing. And we didn't actually really start full on until sort of November, December. I think, you know, and then at that point, it was like full crew. Uh, but I won't lie, you know, seven days a week for for months. And uh, it's just a testament, I think, to our crew and our team. And I'm just really proud of everybody's work and everyone stepped up. And uh, everyone that works on this show loves it. Like, it's really, it's really a family atmosphere and people just want to work hard on it. You know, so the framework, that's been set up since season one season two and then bringing angelo and katie in in season three and in this year lee helped out on a, on a bunch of episodes as well everyone's gotten to see the progression of where the tracks are where they've been and sort of where we can take them so everyone sort of works in the same sort of playground of, of uh the stranger things environment uh world but gets to add their own thing gets to do their own things and stuff like that but uh we definitely we've definitely had a few phone calls, you know, either Katie or Angelo would call me and be like, oh, my God, this is <laughs> never ending. And then the other thing you got to think about is visual effects, because there's a tons of times. And this a lot of this fell onto Katie because she you know, if Angelo and I um, and Lee, you know, if we were sort of working on episode two, Katie was still sort of finishing up with Will and Mark on the stage, episode one, and any last minute visual effects coming up with different ideas to sort of add certain sounds or certain things that maybe the brothers sort of wanted changed or, you know, um, so yeah, there were phone calls many times about like, what is it, what is it gonna stop? Like kind of thing, you know, but, um, I don't know anyone else can chime in on their feelings on, on sort of the, the work, the workload, but, uh. You know, man, I think for all of us, if you're going to do it and you're working in sound, you kind of just really want to go for it. I know that's sort of always been my thing, you know, that I just if, I, if I'm going to work, I want to work and I want to be part of something that's is special is I wanna be part of something that treats sound with the utmost respect, that gives us the room to play things. We've all been on projects where we, you know, kill ourselves on certain things and then it doesn't get played in the mix. This is not that show. This is a show where the Matt and Ross turn around and go, okay, what else do you have? What more can we add? What other things can we do? So yeah. Angelo?
3: Yeah, that is a that is a pretty fun aspect of the show. There's so much, respect and love and interest in the sound as far as just everyone involved in the duffers there's always this desire to keep pushing things up another notch and it's so fun to work on something that is just such a challenge. There's so much design elements, but there's also like just really great traditional sound effects moments too that just really challenge you also. And and this season was, for me, it was a lot of fun having a bigger team on, bringing Lee on, and then another editor we had, Ken McGill, and Dave Grimaldi even helped out early on. And it was fun to see what everybody was bringing to the table because um, I remember talking with Craig, it was like Craig kind of was, really open to everyone throwing in new ideas. Cause I think maybe f- having been on from season one, Craig was like, let's see where we can take this now. And, and uh, so that was always fun. That was kind of open the floodgate to kind of just really go for it. Try out new tones, new, more aggressive sounds more. There were a lot of jump scares and leaning into the horror, all the violence. like, I remember when I first saw episode one, how it ended, I was like, oh man, <laughs> this is gonna be super, <laughs> aggra- are we really gonna go there? Like I was like that's a heavy duty ending and then um and the whole thing is like that I was like man this is this is pretty this is gonna be wild yeah
4: yeah I'd say on my end on the stage I sort of had this unique advantage of seeing forward and backwards what was going on with everybody and i I'm still amazed at how everyone was so everyone's like, all right, we're doing it. We're getting through it. It's good. It's, you know, we're all working our asses off, but at no point was anybody like, uh, nobody was ever at that point, like Craig said, of revolting or anything like that. Cause we were all just so excited and just really wanted, you know, in for a penny and for a pound, we all wanted to be there 120%. And I think you can hear it in the show. I think you can really hear how much everybody's love and, and effort is in there. So.
5: I would uh, piggyback off that, yeah, just everybody, you know, brought their A game on it big time. I was kind of in an interesting scenario where I came in kind of more as mercenary work, <laughs> just to kind of snipe certain areas, and uh, Angelo and Katie totally saved me, because they they'd already been through it, they would already been in the trenches, Angelo was the total gatekeeper for everything, and um, I know, you know, sitting down, like on the first day, and you start cutting, and everything's at an eleven almost, on this show. You know, like, I'm just going to cut a door close. And then you kind (laughs) of look and see what Angelo's been doing. You're like, oh, my God, my door close has got to be an 11 door close, you (laughs) know? (laughs) Um, So you you start doing that and then you kind of start getting into the vibe, you know? And I probably worked on half the episodes or so. And then it was really exciting to, you know, sit down with my kids and watch what everyone else had done once I was off the show. Because I'm super, super proud to have been a part of it because everyone just absolutely crushed it, I thought. And so much things that we work on like craig was saying you know you get railroaded by music you get you know everything gets ducked a ton but like man the sound just plays on this thing you know and it it was really really exciting and it's just it's in your face and just 11 11 11 because it's about 11 i guess (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: um yeah you may have answered my question and what you just said but one of the things I was curious about was having watched all the seasons each season it gets more and more intense but this season felt like maybe two or three steps up in terms of the sound and like you said even things like door closes everything was so detailed and so intense and I was curious was that something that naturally happened among you was that a direction you received
2: yeah it's a bit of both honestly I mean it's been a natural tendency every every season to sort of amp it up a little bit and then honestly Matt and Ross and Dean Zimmerman our picture editor and and Casey Uh, you know, his first assistant and editor as well, and Kat. The whole picture team, they really get into it, you know? And now they have three seasons, well, then they had three seasons of our stems. So they could go back in and cherry pick, you know, a sting from season one and then something from season two but then they would get into stacking them, right? So then when it would show up over to us, it was like something where we really needed to sort of, it was a really great roadmap. And the fact is a lot of it's our sounds, so it's it's already, strangerized it's already our our world you know so and then it was just like the challenge of you know maybe using a little bit of that sound or going back and finding out what elements that i might have made in season one that made up the sound that casey chose and then extrapolating on that so it really came from them it came from matt and ross and and it's just turned into sort of the overall feel of the show i think and it's a it's an energy thing you know it's uh It's, uh, yeah, we use a lot of whooshes, a lot of stings, a lot of impacts, a lot of hits, a lot of bass on things. You know, it's all about an aesthetic that they kind of, you know, when I do spotting sessions with the guys, we sort of talk in sound effects and we sort of talk in that sort of language. They're big fans of all sorts of different types of genres and everything out there, as you know. So all that comes to play. And this season, I was a little less concerned with making it authentic 80s. I think, you know, like the first two seasons, I tried to be a little bit more like, okay, what would a sound effect really be like in, you know, 1980? 4 or 83 or something, you know, and sort of like wanted it bigger, but didn't want to sort of like go full blown. And I think this season, the storytelling really demanded that the sound sort of follow that sort of aspect. And definitely the music sort of fell in line with that as well. So it all, it all sort of like turn it up to a degree. And then you got, you know, you got Mark and Will, second season for them mixing. So they're a little bit more comfortable. They're a little bit more into like maybe opening it up a little bit more we worked a lot from a technical aspect, we worked a lot on the dynamics, on how to get the Netflix number, but still make it feel large and how how loud you're monitoring in a room versus how loud, you know, we're actually hitting tape for lack of a better way to describe it. So all of those, so those sort of things come into play. A lot of frequencies, a lot of frequencies that we all know that work and don't work and and a lot of layering and a lot of, there's a lot of premix work and a lot of editorial work that go into the tracks before they get to a stage so that will can kind of be focused creatively versus being mired up in tracks that don't work he doesn't have to go through and sort of mine all this stuff he can kind of light up the faders and be like okay i see what the guys want i see what i see the direction and then they can further refine it katie's there to add stuff if if you know, will's looking for a sound effect or the brothers ask for something she's like right there all the way through the back side of the process during the mix so we have from a sound design aspect we have a f- pretty full coverage of from the beginning to the end of, of having our, our finger on all the different aspects of what they want.
0: Okay, well, let's talk about some of the sounds in the show then. There is one particular sound design element that is known in my house as the goddamn clock of nightmares. So the, the uh, grandfather clock, when you pitch the idea that you have to make this clock sound like the clock of nightmares, and the first couple times we see it, it's just a clock sitting there, like it's all on you. I'm not sure who worked on that element. Whoever wants to talk
2: about yeah, it. Yeah, I think it was uh, it was it was me. I kind I had to come <laughs> up with something early on, and then the idea, specifically of the idea of the pitch envelope that lowers in pitch, actually, I did in season two when Hopper. I can't remember which episode, but Hopper jumps down. It's at the end of the episode, and he jumps down into the tunnels in season two, and. It, there's a chime in there that has a pitch envelope that sort of slows down. So that idea had been swimming around in my brain for a little while. And then when the clock sort of showed up in, in episode one, I wanted to make it crazy like I wanted I want it, it you know, and I did a version and the brothers and, and I think um, I think the brothers like, well, can it just sound more like a normal clock? you know because I kind of <laughs> went really distorted and I really kind of went. I really went for it, and and I kind of went for it because a lot of times I can, I can kind of one hand the, the amount of times that Matt and Ross have said to me, you know what, that's a little too much. Like they never <laughs> say that, right? You know, So it became like, can you just dial it back a little bit? So it was a question of like, I found, a, 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 it's a grandfather clock. It's a Westminster grandfather clock is the core sound of it. And then I layered three different types of ticks. Um, one sort of sat in the center and two sort of sat on the left and the right. And then the actual chime or the gong, for instance, was the gong from the Westminster clock, and then I pitched down maybe six semitones, and then I pitched another version down that had the pitch envelope so it would slow. So every time it would gong, it would slow down until it hit the next gong. And then the big thing for me was how to make it feel older, how to make it feel more stranger things, how to just make it feel creepier uh, and I hit upon using uh, cello, like a bow with a cello. And if you mute the strings, I have this library of these great sort of cello. I'm a really big fan of like, um, samples and samplers that are out there that are instrument oriented sound effects. And so I found this cello library and it's just scrapes. It's just bows scraping across the strings, but they're in a muted fashion. And I honestly just, I sort of thought, okay, well that could maybe work for the pendulum and that to me was sort of the the sort of base layers of everything And then the Duffers sent me a chime that they really liked where they found, I don't know where they found it, they found a chime someplace that they enjoyed. So they gave me that and I sort of added a little bit distortion. So when you listen to it, the higher pitched version that has a little bit more bite to it is something that they found and gave to me. And then I sort of just built it. And then, you know, when it goes to Will, he has the ability to sort of like have the regular sort of clock version. And then it kind of goes into like, you can lean into the pendulum swing of the cello. Um, you can lean into the pitch envelope of the lower one slowing down. And then I have the rift sound the sort of undulating rift sound is underneath it in a, a bunch of different scenes as well, which is sort of a callback to the rift like the red when you see the rift or what we refer to as the rift when it's like when the wall is split in half you know and you see the red pumping sort of thing. that's a rift sound that I sort of had to do in season one. <laughs> So that's sort of underneath a bunch of different scenes, specifically with Max in the hallway, I think, in episode three. And that's an idea that Ross threw to me. He was like, can you just somehow put the rift underneath? Again, it's all about reinforcing the Stranger Things universe and the Stranger Things world. <laughs> That was kind of the elements and i kind of went back a little bit but it wasn't it wasn't like we had to try 15 different versions it was something that was you know i think we hit upon pretty simply pretty easily on on some levels i think there was a little bit of a moment and i know that katie and i were sort of like how are we going to figure this out because she was on the stage saying you know the distorted stuff is not really working but it needs to maybe be a little bit more simpler so i just reworked up another one quickly and by the time we get to fred In episode two, it sort of settles into like the elements that you're sort of used to hearing, you know. Well, and now it's, it's become a TikTok. Oh, go meme. ahead,
3: Angela. <laughs> no, I was just saying it's become like a meme in TikTok now. It's like it's yes. taken on <laughs> a whole life of its own now. <laughs> I was told telling Craig, I was like this thing thing's, this thing's b- become part of the culture now. It's like it's embedded in social media. It's pretty funny.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, it's been a meme and I've also seen articles about fan theories that Vecna was there all along yeah. because they've heard chime-like sounds yeah. in past right. seasons. So and-
2: there yeah, so that that actually is somewhat true-ish, but uh, you know, I certainly didn't have a timeline of like, okay, and starting in season one, but Craig, you got to think about this clock that's going to show up in season four. Nobody <laughs> nobody talked to me about that, but there was definitely things in the music that had, I think there's one in episode one when, when Will falls off his bike, you hear a chime, you hear another chime in Billy in season three, you definitely hear the chime gong with Hopper in the cave. I think that's kind of cool that people pick up on those sort of things. It's kind of like that, you know, if you play Led Zeppelin, "There to heaven backwards or something, right? You're going to hear <laughs> other sounds or something. So, yeah, I mean, did they hear it or didn't they hear it? We'll never sort of know. <laughs> well,
0: it's a testament to the popularity of the show that people are watching it so much that they are catching on to these things. Mm-hmm. So another moment in the show that I thought was a really cool sound moment is uh, I believe it's in the last episode of season four, Yuri, the uh, Russian pilot, has sabotaged his helicopter and he's trying to start it and it's making these ignition sounds that actually sound a bit like the Millennium Falcon in some ways. But uh, he then stopped, they tell him to stop, and he says that it sounds good and vocalizes what it's sounding like.
5: On contrary, those noises you hear, that it's very good sign.
0: That locked you into kind of the direction you had to go. That's Angela. Uh, well, That's all Angela. Yeah, the
3: Yuri airplane stuff was a uh, with that helicopter thing. I yeah, I had to kind of go and go by what he was vocalizing, and then that whole that whole scene as far as as well as the first plane was uh, really just some old school hard hardcore sound effects editing. Really, it was it, it was not a lot of processing with that side. Was just listening to lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of sounds and going through like World War II planes, and then uh, biplanes, all these different types to find the right elements. And uh, with that one I did find, uh, I think it was a P-51 plane from the like, 1930s or 40s, and it had, it had this sort of, and, and I was always trying to keep it airplane based. Nothing like, I wasn't trying to I, didn't want to, I didn't want to like dig into like other type of vehicles. So I was trying to base it in that world. And yeah, so I, you know, I found some some stuff that was working really nice, and, and the whole thing with with Yuri, my whole idea was to keep make his planes sort of an extension of his character, you know, because they're unpredictable, they're they're not trustworthy, they're like they malfunction, they're kind of quirky, they're kind of fun. So it was to me it was everything about his vehicles was kind of a part of him. That's what I was think how I was thinking about it. So I was trying to make it fun, trying to make it funny, and and. And, you know, this these vehicles are his one opportunity to, to control the environment, you know, so he can kind of set the tone. So I was it's kind of fun to kind of make the thing backfire and find, you know, get the inertia starters and all that. But, yeah, to answer your question, I, I initially went... To get us close to his vocal pitch and his rhythm too and, and it was a lot of cutting to get the right rhythm and then I would kind of find ways to uh, motivate the other characters because when they're if you know if you remember when they're looking over at the helicopter something makes them like jump into action so I was kind of finding ways to make the engine sound like it was even about to completely come undone and so they start running over you
4: You can do it. Get your hands off me, potato
3: head. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And with the airplane it was a similar thing. I remember Craig and I were talking about it because we first got the scene. It was really just Yuri cranking the, the wrench and then banging, finding a spot on the hull to bang and when we first saw it, it was just nothing. It was just him hitting the hull. And Craig was like, good luck, man. You got to, somehow you got to make Stop. that sound like he hit the right thing and it fired. Stop. He knows exactly where to hit it. The thing's well, going nice. to fire up. And then the boom, the backfires. Everything starts spitting out and then the thing revs up. <laughs> I actually had so much fun doing that because for me it was also a moment during the show where there's so much design and creatures and upside down and jump scares and let's just cut this and make it like really fun and and all that so that was a a fun thing and then lee also helped out on the airplane because uh lee got the whole back end of that it was so it was really fun to sort of get it started and then hand it off to Lee. And he took it from when the plane nosedives and and just begins its descent to crashing. And you could probably talk about that, Lee, but he, Lee did such a great job on that. It was And it was also some fun humor in, in all the sounds that we put in there. It was a good time.
5: Yeah, uh, on the plane crash, bottom line is just try to make it fun. You know, I try to uh, make sure that like every sound that's in there is intentional not try to have too much filler and that everything's trying to tell a story point point. and then uh i do like a lot of pinch ramping on stuff just to try to you know make it fun basically have a lot of beats and just not have it be a wall of sound and have it just kind of be as much musical as you can for crashing a plane into the tundra.
0: plane crash scene is so amazing because it's like 50 seconds long and there's no music in it. It's all sound effects. And yet, I guess the visuals would help with this, but the sound effects make it funny as much as terrifying and scary. There are a lot of really funny moments within this long plane crash sequence. How do you make a plane crash sound funny? Well,
5: I don't, a lot of that stuff, you know, you've got like your, you know, you've got to have the, uh, you know, when the engine cuts out and stuff like that, just putting in different types of backfires, but then also finding things that aren't traditional backfires. Like, um, I think Craig will probably kill me for this, but like in that example, I had um, my son making fart sounds with his hands, you know, and it sounds, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But it worked for the engine sputtering out, you know, and it was it was like a P-51 adjacent, so to speak. Uh, and then even with the crashing, you know, you can do a lot of fun things just with different, you know, ronks and just timing and just finding like cool rhythms and just having it, bing, bing, boom, 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 you know, bouncing all over the place and instead sort of just boom crash.
3: Yeah, yeah, you did a great job with this. There was some metal pitching ronking thing when the plane was going over the trees that I, I was cracking up when I first saw it. I was like, I just thought it was so great. It was like just a, <laughs> a great you. opportunity that you found. You've just found the right moment to kind of like bring in some metal bending. And as the plane was going down,
5: it's it's fun just to kind of also, you know, pay attention to what the camera moves are doing and to help, you know, if the camera starts panning down, you know, just bring in some big groans that are diving down with it and uh, just pick up on anything that you can to help get in a little fun stuff in there without being corny
0: now you have to uh make that your thing every project you work on you have to find a way to put your son's mouth farts in
5: (laughs) i'm working on it dude don't worry
0: about it new parlor game what's his next project find the mouth fart katie so you were on the stage for most of this uh what was the schedule like on the stage because these are huge and i'm assuming uh it was a a quick, well, not quick mix isn't the right thing, but compared to other 2.5 hour mixes.
4: (laughs) Yeah, no, it was, I mean, it was pretty quick. I mean, you know, we had a little bit more time than I'd say you'd have for like a typical TV show, but it was still like, we felt it for sure. And there's just, you know, it's not two and a half hours of people chit-chatting. It's two and a half hours of crazy stuff happening. And at least for that episode, we knew nothing else was coming after it. But for earlier episodes, like seven, where it's like, this is an hour and a half, and then we have four more hours coming down the pipe after <laughs> that. <laughs> that was pretty daunting, but yeah, some somehow uh, somehow we got through it. Uh, I think you know, just getting to work closely with, with Mark and Will and the Duffers on the stage. It was really awesome because I think it kept us energized to have that sort of excitement and sort of determination to make everything a moment, make everything. And Will would kind of send me on my way to do things like that as well during the mix where it's like, You know, I'm going to tackle this, make this little spot a moment, try to find me something to like, I'm trying to think of a moment, you know, things like that, especially like when you're on the stage, like Craig said, the visual effects are updating, the music's coming in, like final music, we're putting it all together and it starts to take on its own shape in a different way where we start, you know, Will and Mark will both start sort of sifting through everything and like fine tuning it. And then sometimes either the Duffers will suddenly have an idea or Mark and Will will be like, oh, you know, I think this moment needs a little bit more texture for this. Or I think that we need to pull everything back for this and sort of give it some air and things like that. So it was really cool to sort of sit with them and, and go through that and also sort of have the Duffers there to, to give their notes and constantly be like horrified by what I would bring back to them. <laughs> Because they would always, a big thing with them is always they wanted more gross stuff or more disturbing stuff. (laughs) I think the big one this year, Craig knows, well, I think all you guys know, but the the scene in episode four where Victor Creel is talking about World War II and how he shelled this house and uh, he sees visions of this baby screaming in a burning cradle. And Matt was like, you know, it's kind of just sounds not disturbing enough. Like, I really want that baby to be distressed. (laughs) <laughs> and it's not its not enough. I'm like, okay, well, let me look and see what I can do. And so I found a bunch of different things, but I landed on um, a baby gorilla that was nursing. And, you know, just like regular babies, human babies, they sort of scream and cry and vocalize a lot. And it, for some reason, just sounds horrific. I don't know why. <laughs> so I put that in. I ordered a shelling.
2: It was taunting
4: me. Matt just turned around and looked at me. He's like, what was that sound? Like, oh, it was a baby gorilla. He's like, what's wrong with you?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think
3: everyone's...
4: You want it disturbing.
3: <laughs> I think yeah. our, our collective respect for Katie notched up another level after we Because I remember hearing that because a few of us took a shot. We used babies, you know, like, a, a, yeah. and then I remember hearing that. And I was like, what is that? And then I called Katie. I was like, did you put this gorilla? In? And it was so good. It was so perfect. I was like, man, that's amazing. <laughs> like, so good.
4: But there's yeah. like a lot of little moments like that where things just sort of, flesh out on the stage in a way that you can't predict in editorial. And so I was sort of there to help field anything like that, where it just, it's like, you know, Hey, go, can you grab something for this moment? And that's a perfect example.
1: Mark, you got something? Yeah. Well, I was going to pivot a little bit if everybody's up for it. Um, I'm curious about, creature sounds but not necessarily the most obvious ones like when we put up the twitter question everybody was like how do they make vecna's voice um <laughs> i'm really curious about the voice i guess i put it in air quotes the voice of the tentacles the movements the chittering some of the stuff they were doing and i'm curious about the voice of the bats that one for whatever reason really stuck out to me as i watched the show
2: uh all right who, who goes first because that's a kind of collective for sure yeah
3: yeah <laughs> i mean I, I can touch on the vines a bit um yeah yeah you know a lot of it um there's a, definitely a lot of a lot of gore kind of like vegetable crunching kind of stuff with that but i i did come on to a sound when um the whole crew is in the uh the house where they when they get pinned against the wall that whole scene yeah a lot of it's sort of really like a lot of heavy wood Manipulating wood creaks that I had had recorded and pitched them down, and then I just would like do these different pitch ramping, getting them to chitter and stutter, just a bunch of different ways to do that with samplers and just you know processing them so they kind of have a vocal element. Ended up working out really great because I would just sort of like I would sort of map it with the moves, you know, as it would like just as it flew by, I would get these kind of deep wood tones, and blend it with the gore. The way it kind of ended up was there's, I was going for like a vocal element in there, and one thing with this season there was a lot of opportunity to bring pitch and tone into all the design, which you know as sound designers we kind of evo- we have to kind of avoid that a bit because it conflicts with music but there were these long stretches all season where there w- it was just like 10 minutes almost it felt like of just sound design like I mean that's from the clock to the creature stuff to the to the horror tones and the I, I mean I remember Craig and I were talking I was like man there was like there was like this one scene it was like eight minutes of no music and it was like just all all the design with the tones and stuff so when it came to creatures I I knew I could kind of I could kind of go into that territory and we'd be all right with that.
2: The great thing about Lee and I have been talking about getting him on Stranger Things since season one, probably, and finally schedules were able to work. And one of his first things that Lee jumped on was sort of a, you know, taking a swing at the demo bats. So Lee, if you want to talk a bit about sort of your process with that, and then I can kind of follow up with sort of my
5: thoughts. Uh, Yeah, uh, day one, uh, Craig said, make all the bat vocals. And I freaked out. Welcome. um, (laughs) Yeah, he's like, uh, take a stab at the vines and take a stab at the bats. And um, it was uh, no pressure just because he set the bar so high with all the creature vocals uh, on the first three seasons. So it was was a challenge in the fact that you wanted to, you know, like, oh, here's my chance to bring something new. But you're also in a universe where it all has to Play off each other it has to feel like it's from you know connective tissue that they're all upside down related uh, as far as uh, and then we t- you know i did a pass craig did a pass Angelo did a pass and then it just kind of all got frankensteined into what you ended up hearing so these guys definitely you know contributed a ton to that as far as the bats go it was a lot of we have got like these uh, crazy parrots in burbank that show up every now and then so as a recording of some of those gray parrots uh, some of the stuff that uh, Craig had already made from previous seasons, just to kind of give it that connective tissue that we were talking about. The real money sound with the demo bats, besides the gray parrot, barn owls, that kind of thing, I found a, uh, some recordings of a duck call being blown through mud, and it just added that kind of phlegmy back of the throat, you know, sound, and just trying to make sure that it didn't sound like sound effects. this sounded like this was all, all these sounds were coming from, like, one mouth source. And as far as the uh, vines go, Craig and I did the last Terminator movie a couple of years ago. So we really did a lot of kind of liquid metal body horror type stuff through that, that we kind of used as a jumping off point and really tried to make things slimy and gross, but without sounding too wet, if that makes sense. Wet without being wet, because just wet by itself just doesn't feel that powerful and that. Tentacle and viney and stuff. So just try to make things more slimy than wet, you know, like a lot of mud. We did a lot of recordings that I used of just like refried beans coming out of cans and that kind of stuff. And then a lot of the bat vocals that, you know, I sent off my first batch to Craig and he's like, ah, you know, it's not hitting the pocket yet, but we were able to use the rejected bat sounds as kind of vocal sweeteners for the tentacles when they're retracting and that really brought them to life just to kind of give them a little vocal element like angelo was saying with the chittering that he did on his passive stuff it just starts to make them pop instead of just being like slimy arms
1: yeah they felt very alive they i mean i know they are but they felt like they were creatures in their own right and i remember watching the scenes of the kids exploring the house. My wife and I were sitting on the couch just terrified they were gonna step on one of these things because (laughs) they felt like these living things that were everywhere and ready to grab you at any moment. It was really cool stuff. Yeah, it's
3: that hive mind thing where everything's alive and it responds, right?
2: Lee forgot to mention how much he's in love with pumpkins and the inside of pumpkins. Yeah, <laughs> the pumpkin sounds. You know, the, the, sounds. the, the yeah, pumpkin right. sounds. Because t- speaking of, like, slimy, creepy without too much wet, you know, is, is those pumpkins at the right time of year are sort of perfect for that sort of, like, ripping sort of sound without it rightly.
5: Right. Well, so if, we did if a bunch I'm going to get my son's <laughs> mouth farts in, I got to get my daughter's <laughs> pumpkin sounds in. <laughs> right. So like, um, um, yeah, we went out to like, yeah, those were great. We went out Just to Underwood a good Farms.
2: Yeah. yeah. You're being I a good know, father. Know.
5: <laughs> we went out to Underwood Farms, like gosh, a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, like the pumpkins start decaying. So I'm like, man, I'm going to try to record these and the pumpkin stuff's great because it's got this, uh, cavity feeling to it. You know, yeah. and it's it's not just, you know, I'm gonna squish tomatoes in my hands or whatever. It's actually got like, oh, that feels like it's internal and the it's sound got to it. Like, um these sinewy rips when it starts pulling the husk. I don't know what you call it. Hull? Pumpkin hull. So those kind of things were like really great for like when the tentacles were like coming out of Vecna's back or you know injecting back into his back. That was a lot of my daughter's uh pumpkin sounds cool. That's great. And then so, demo, it, like oh, demo bat ahead.
2: vocal, sorry, the demo bat vocals and stuff. I mean, my past to that stuff was concentrating on some of the closer, the close up ones. My go-tos for those sort of things are sort of cappuccino makers. And I have a really great, I'm in the middle of a renovation here at the house. So I have a lot of really 1960s style closet doors still, the, the roller closets. And the things that they roll on, especially back then, the plastics have hardened the the sound has just changed so much so I kind of, and I've been thinking about this sound for a couple seasons, and I finally figured out a place to use them, which was the demo bats so I'm a big fan, as I think everyone here is a big fan of like performing. If you're going to record something, you want to get that performance, kind of like what Lee's talking about, the sound in the pumpkin. It gives you, you don't have to manipulate that much further than a good recording of it, because it's got it, right? You know, it's that whole philosophy of how to capture and record sounds that kind of emote something right away. And for me, that this little class, Closet, sort of I could perform these sort of chittery things without having to do too much work you know, within Pro Tools uh, for them. And I think that, in, and then I know that when Angela heard a bit of that, that sort of inspired him to sort of go record a few things around his house. I think all of us sort of like get inspired by how much you hear someone else do something in the world. Like for me, it's like listening to what, what everyone here does in Stranger Things, Makes me proud on some levels because I didn't have anybody in season one, you know, Um, that, that I was sort of bouncing a lot of ideas off of as much as much. You sort of look from then to now, and it's just like, I get inspired by what what everyone here does you know and then that sort of turns me on to something or i hear angelo do something or katie does something or lee and it becomes like you you sort of feed upon this sort of thing you know and and uh the demo bats was definitely something that was was that sort of world of like oh lee did something really cool here and then angelo did this little sound i'm gonna pull a cappuccino maker sound that i really like we're gonna layer them together uh, Angela does a whole pass of bat wings and stuff in sound particles I think Lee did some stuff as well with the bat wing, like with all the wings flapping around I know I did a lot of work in there as well and then panning it all before it even gets to will knowing that he's going to take it to another level It's just the team is really firing at all cylinders when it comes to sort of scenes like that <laughs>
3: Yeah it was fun to see everyone's work get stitched together like that, actually. yeah, it was like um, like nothing got thrown away, you know it was like I mean, everything in some way made it in on all these really great ideas that everyone brought, and, and you know you would see it all stitched in there and like and, and, and uh, it just became this just great collaboration. It was really fun to see that at the end.
5: It was a hive mind of sound effects editors. Yeah. <laughs> 100% percent tie Good tie-in. And
3: I wish Good Will tie-in. was here, but then like hearing the mix, I remember we were talking about this like, oh my God, and like, after all this, you know, we're sitting with these episodes and then we're thinking, ah, this just sounds so great, and then we, and then you hear the final mix and what Mark and Will did, and it was like, whoa. <laughs> it's like how they're, they're like artists, how they'll paint the stuff together, and it's just, it's really fun to see that.
4: I wouldn't want to speak on Will's behalf, but, but I do know just from watching him, it was really, it's really cool to see how, you know, like the Demobats is a great example where there's all this wonderful work and he just sort of taking that with all the elements together, finds a way to give it its moment and sort of make moments out of every single pass of like every, every shot has its own little, you know, or scene has a rhythm and a moment that he's able to sort of carve it out and give it justice, which is such an exciting thing to see an effects mixer do.
0: Well, we've used up your entire lunch hour now, so thank you very much (laughs) for talking with us. Uh, Congratulations on the success of the show and uh, the kind of universal acclaim your work has done. I loved the moment in the last episode where Max is in the prom room and the balloons Mm -hmm. start exploding blood. I nearly crapped my pants the first time that happened. <laughs> and, uh, there's a million moments like that that I wanted to talk to you about, but uh, I don't want to use, take up any more of your time. So thank you very much. It was great speaking with you, and I hope we can have you all on again sometime soon. Great. Thank,
5: thank, you, thank you. Thank,
0: thank you too. So, so much. Mark. Yeah. Well, that wraps up part two of our Stranger Things coverage. If you somehow missed part one with the dialogue team on the series, Do yourself a favor and go to the episode before the one you are listening to, number 194, and check it out. It's a super fun talk. I'm a big fan of Stranger Things, and these episodes sounded so great because one of the crew on the series actually edited and mixed these episodes for us. Corey Pereira, one of the guests on the Dialogue-focused episode, kindly helped us out with these. Thank you, Corey. That was so great of you. Corey took me out for an epic Mexican food dinner when I was last in Austin. So in addition to helping out on these episodes, I will forever be in his debt for that great food. Stay tuned for next week when we have another great episode with the sound team from Moon Knight. It's another can't miss episode. Well, until then, I've been your host, Tim Meerhead. Thanks for listening to Tonebenders. One thing you can do to help us out is spread the word. Tell anyone you know that works in sound or is interested in it. We'd really appreciate it. Okay, catch you next time.
2: Tonebenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Moro. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or b or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening.
0: Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? Tonebenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.
1: May I ask one, I think, really, really fast question just because a bunch of Twitter people. We had five people on Twitter ask what Flanger plugin you guys were using. Because (laughs) I guess they just marveled this out of that for some reason. Is that... Like, can you give a five-second answer to that? The, what flanger? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, th- I th- imagine there's probably nothing special. I just, I know it's yeah,
3: yeah,
2: coming
1: I, up.
3: Yeah, I think yeah, we all probably use
1: different ones, but it's, it's
3: definitely on
2: on the front side. Yeah, the front side. I think you know, I I use everything from you know meta flanger to there's some flangers within some of the waves. I like the GTR wave stomp box sort of stuff where you can stack a few. And then the standard avid flanger. But I think the one that most people are hearing is something that I think that Will and Mark and Katie probably cooked up on the stage because they were trying to figure out how to make the vines on Vecna on his slimy feel a little bit yeah. a little bit more <sighs> You know, right? I think that's the one that most people picked up on this season. Uh, the stuff that I do, and I think Angela does is a little bit more subversive in terms of flanging, but I definitely think that. And maybe you know, if Katie, you want to give give away what what it was? You know, I know they were really into Valhalla this year with the delay Oh yeah, the they used stuff, Valhalla but...
4: delay for uh, obviously that's not a flanger, but they used it quite yeah. a bit. Uh, Mark did as well for for dialogue and things like that. Right. Um, as far as the flanger, I mean will brought it up to me and that's one again one of those things where it was like he would give me something and i'd take it and run with it and he's like here's this moment with vecna and everything's on fire and they're throwing molotov cocktails and all this and it sounds fantastic but just to give it that little bit of edge like we threw a little more flanger (laughs) and just to just to have it you know feel like it's moving a little more and having a little more fun um unfortunately i don't know specifically which one he used um i'm just been using Flanger from Pro Tools in, in Pro Tools.
1: Um, that's going to be the just best answer
4: anyway. Because I just Yeah, I would adjust it according to whatever sound I was using, basically. Um, so it wasn't really a one size fits all, but I would just sort of cater it to whatever sound I was working with.